0: Everyone fights for a relationship based on potential. In the early stages of dating, it's actually very important. People bring their
1: past into the present.
0: They cannot let go
1: of the toxicity from the past relationship, mm. from the hurt of the last relationship. And you said it earlier, right? Confirmation bias. So then go into the next relationship and it's like, oh, because let's say they're did it. Oh, he did that. It must mean this is a toxic relationship and they bail. Like they don't give it the investment that any relationship may need because they've already written it off.
0: Yes. There are. So what we're talking about here in a sense is is a form of trust. Yeah. How do you trust the next time round that it will be different? Right. I think that we focus on the wrong thing there. I think that we focus on and and actually I think a lot of advice that's given gets people to focus on the wrong thing because a lot of people say you have to trust you know this is a different person this is a different situation you have to go in trusting and it's it's like it might be a different person might be the same person all over again I mean you don't know. The point is you don't know and you can't know. You can't know how someone might disrespect you, cheat on you, lie to you, you betray you. You can't know. And if you can't know, reassuring someone that this you can trust them, it's gonna be okay, it's pointless. Why reassure them something that you and them can't possibly know?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So rather than try and control this thing that's uncontrollable, that's kind of just a dead end. It's a loop that you have to go on of reassurance, freaking out again, reassurance, freaking out again. Mm. There's a couple of other ways of looking at it. You don't have to trust someone else if you trust yourself. That's the first thing. And by trust yourself, I mean, if a lot of people are afraid that they're going to get into another relationship, that they're going to get close to someone, that, that person's going to hurt them. But their experience has shown them in the past that when someone hurt them like that, they didn't necessarily have the strength to walk away. They didn't necessarily have the strength to rebuild themselves afterwards. You know, I had a woman come to me and she said, I, I, I you know, she had children from a previous marriage and her husband cheated on her. And she said, I find it difficult to trust in the next thing. I said, but you can trust yourself far more this time, because she said, I, I was in that marriage 20 years, and I, I, and I knew seven years ago that there were problems, that this person was unfaithful, and I stayed in it year after year, and it scared me off of trusting someone. I said, but you eventually left, right? You, you're not who you were seven years ago where you found out and then stayed for seven years. You're who you are today who actually had the strength to leave. And understanding that is the key to self-trust. We've learned how to deal with certain situations. We've learned how to walk away faster. We've learned how to spot red flags in a way that our 21-year-old self was far too naive to, or ignored. We know what to pay attention to these days. So it's not like we have to go around playing detective next time, or worrying, are they gonna cheat, I mean, are they gonna do that? Well, they might just make peace with it. In in California, there might be an earthquake. You and I aren't sitting here like this just in case there's an earthquake, are we? Like. At any point this could happen. No, you, you, know, you have <laughs> your, your procedure. Life. Like if there's an earthquake, we're gonna stand in a certain part of the house that's the safest and, and now get on with life. You, you don't trust that someone's never gonna betray you. You just trust that you'll be able to handle it if they do, that you'll be able to walk away. That's a massive key to it. Stop worrying about whether you can trust someone else. Maybe you can't. We don't know that, only time will tell if you can trust somebody else, that is a pointless waste of your energy to worry about. Worry only about yourself. So that's the first argument for trusting is that just trust you. Don't trust them, trust you. I can walk away if I need to. Mm. Um, There's also the standards argument for trust, which is that I'm gonna trust and, and, you know what happens when we don't trust is we suffocate people, we get overly jealous, we get controlling, we start playing detective in their life in a way that invades their privacy, steps over their boundaries. We start doing things that are unfair to the other person, mm-hmm. and we start damaging the relationship for a fear that hasn't necessarily even come true yet. Now the relationship is getting damaged not because of trust, not because of what they're doing, but because of the way we're now violating the integrity of the relationship so you have to have a standard that says i'm gonna play my part in creating a beautiful relationship i'm gonna give this person space enough to hang themselves enough to betray me i have to that's what a great relationship is i have to give you enough space where you can betray me where you can do something wrong. It can't be that you only don't betray me because I'm monitoring you the (laughs) whole time. Yeah, the threat of it. (laughs) Right, that's not, now I don't know what I have if the the conditions for you not betraying me are that you're under surveillance. Mm -hmm. I only know what I have if I give you complete freedom to do it and you don't. Mm -hmm. So my standard has to be, I'm gonna trust not because you're never gonna betray me, and I know that for sure, I'm going to trust because that's my standard for the kind of relationship I want to be in.
1: God, I love that. And when you said like looking through the microscope and making, you know, checking everything out. If you've had a bad bad relationship and they've done something wrong and you want to learn from it, right? You're like, okay, what will I do different next time? You've learned all these lessons. You bring the lessons to your next relationship. And let's say your next relationship where they do one little thing that is similar to that. I think people, some people who have their defences up, are like, "Oh my God, there it is! I knew that I found it," and they'll bounce. Versus going, "What does this mean about them? Is this a reflection? I need to pay attention, mm. right? Don't ignore it. That would be a mistake." But go instead of jumping to conclusions, let me like play it by ear, or let me see if that actually does come into fruition. Would you like suggest kind of testing a bit like that?
0: I think that um, you have to come to them from a compassionate place as a teammate. Because that, again, that has to be your standard. I'm going to come with a sense of teamwork and compassion that says, I'm not immediately going to attribute, even if my fears are screaming mm. at me too, I'm not immediately going to attribute the worst possible intention to this. Instead, I'm going to get curious about what was behind this when you did it Here's how it made me feel like his it, it has upset me. And you know, rightly or wrongly, that's because it made me feel like you didn't care or you mm-hmm. weren't thinking mm-hmm. of me. And if we can do that without immediately labeling, without immediately accusing, if we can create just a little bit of space between the point at which we get curious and the point at which we've drawn all of our conclusions Mm. that space saves relationships and the conclusions are natural if we've been screwed over if the last time we saw this behavior it was followed by realizing someone was cheating on you then it's natural to see a little bit of it and immediately go to the same place Mm. but i've i mean in in all sorts of different ways. I've been made a fool of there. Where I saw someone in one relationship do something that looked like something someone did before, which usually was, you know, followed by some horrible pain. Mm. And I immediately jumped to this feeling and then, you know, made a conclusion. Our brains are... We have a supercomputer, but that's also dangerous because the number of calculations and deductions that can get made in mere seconds that can take us from someone didn't text me back th- to 3 hours to they're having an affair.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's that's really where I think it ends up being, you know, detrimental to your future relationship because I mean there's so many different elements here, right? There's how to not get in a toxic relationship. Then then if you are, how to get out of it and respect yourself and then how to not then bring it into the future relationships. Um, and then, like you said, you can get there so fast and it really can be detrimental to the potential that this relationship could have.
0: And that, that is, see, everyone fights for a relationship based on potential. Mm
2: hmm. <laughs>
0: Based on what they think it could be, even that person that you know, but I but I love them. Mm. What they're fighting for is their vision of what the relationship could be, right, or should be, or should be. They think, but in their mind, it's still yeah, like it. But we love each other so much. This this should be the most amazing thing ever. Well, let's look at what it is. Mm -hmm. In the early stages of dating, it's actually very important that. We miss crucial opportunities to see what the relationship is if we lunge in Mm -hmm. with attacks and accusations instead of letting someone know what we're feeling and asking them kind but honest questions. We don't really see what's going on because they feel attacked, their their defences go up. What we really need to do is say, I'm going to learn more about this person's intentions either because I don't feel they're trying hard enough or as much as me, or because they just did something that I don't feel was very nice. I'm gonna learn more about what's behind it. And that is gonna provide me with information. Acknowledge that there's a gap. There's a gap between where I want things to be and where they are. Highlight the gap in in a classy and tactful way. Look at whether this person acknowledges the gap, because it's usually the sign of a toxic relationship if the gap can't even be acknowledged mm-hmm. what are you talking about i'm trying just as much as you and if you're like you're really not like i'm clearly yeah, come on making many more sacrifices than you are doing much think of you way more than you think of me do more than you do for me like if you know there really is a gap and it is not being acknowledged at all that there is no sense of someone being able to look at themselves honestly and go Okay, you're right. If they try and make you crazy, that's a form of of toxic behavior. But can they acknowledge the gap? That's the first step. Now, that's a positive sign if they can.
2: Mm.
0: You can work with that, right? Ah, this is actually a sign of a healthy relationship. I've brought something up. They didn't make me feel stupid for bringing it up and being vulnerable and revealing a wound. But that alone isn't enough. Because someone could say... I get it, you're right, I'm gonna do better. And then a month from now, nothing's changed. Yeah. And that's where you have to say, it's one thing that someone is acknowledging the gap, but acknowledging and being able to deliver are two very different things. And the fourth step is noticing whether the gap's being reduced.
1: i got a question for you. Is that exactly the same analysis that you would do if you're the toxic one in the relationship. Like I can see where a lot of people blame other people. Mm. It's hard to see when you're the problem. So I think it's important to acknowledge or ask yourself the question with no blame, no judgment. I'm always about results, not about feeling badly about it. Um, But if you're actually asking yourself, what if I'm the toxic one? Would you still break it down like that?
0: Well, I think one of the hardest things in the world is, is self awareness. Yeah. And I think self awareness about where am I, where is what I'm asking for reasonable and where am I being but unreasonable? Got, oh, dude, I'm going
1: to push you on that because no one says I'm being unreasonable. People don't actually think that about themselves. Or do you think that?
0: No. Well, I, I try to really look at certain situations because I'm a very. to a a fault, probably, self-reflective person. Mm. I overthink, that's my problem. I'll say something in a conversation and then I go away and I go, should I have said that? Mm. I feel like I I kind of overstepped the mark there Mm. and I start, you know, like I can obsess if I'm not careful. So I've had to like, I have to really mind my own obsessive qualities. Mm. What makes me very good at my job. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Is also my worst enemy. Yeah, at I was times. gonna say,
1: what is your superpower is also your kryptonite. For
0: sure. Because I'm good at seeing 10 steps, 20 steps ahead. Mm. That's that's like my gift. But I when I try to be very aware of when I'm doing something, am I am I being is this me asking too much or is this me doing something? is me am i asking for something unreasonable here or is this reasonable and i think a lot of people go through that in relationships especially when they're with someone who's saying you know cuz a lot of people's initial defense is what you're asking for is is unreasonable mm. or what you i didn't do that like we we all do it at times we get defensive and our first port of call is to try and make the other person seem like they're overreacting mm-hmm. or it's very difficult, especially when someone's making us feel like we're overreacting, to get impartial and to say, where is the line between me asking too much and me asking for the right amount? Right. And, and sometimes I think people don't realize they're toxic because they're so convinced of their story.
1: Right, that's what I was going to say. It's more like a frame of reference, right? So it's like my frame of reference is going to be very different from Tom's. It's going to be very different from yours, right? We just have different upbringings and we've been told different things and we've encountered different things. We went to different schools, like all these things that encounter our, you know, build up and and create our belief system then (laughs) comes to the, well, how do you know who is being reasonable and who's not? Because my frame of reference is I'm very reasonable. Yeah, of course. And Tom's frame of reference may be you're being so freaking unreasonable. Um, so I how
0: do you I I try to keep a record not just of the times I was right but I do try to keep a record of the times where I was so wrong mm-hmm. you know where was I so utterly convinced of a thing mm-hmm. and then I came to someone and I was like you know oh what so blah you didn't text me back because of this reason they, and they're like yeah but I didn't even my phone wasn't even on or mm-hmm. I didn't even <laughs> and I'm like Okay, like well, you have that moment of that, that realization where you go, oh man, what just happened in mm. my mind? Mm. Like, well, where did I just go? I think, I think it's important, not, not in a way of all, never, never trusting yourself, but just in the sense of being aware of how wrong you can be. And therefore, at the very least, mm-hmm. having allowed that to make the space for you to at least go into a situation curious mm. about what their intentions were, about what may the way be a way that you're not bringing it up in the right way or you know, rushing too quickly to accusations or conclusions. At least allow your knowledge of how wrong you've been in the past mm. to create the space for you to be curious instead of rushing mm. to the end of the story already. And then be honest with... Uh, is this person, I'm I'm being honest about ways that I wanna bring my best to this and I wanna be clear headed and I wanna give them the benefit of the doubt, but are they being a teammate in that? Mm. Or is everything, are all the concessions on my side? Is all the work somehow always about what I need to do? Is it never a joint effort? And I think sometimes that that's a giveaway that, you know, we've convinced ourselves we're the problem all the time, but you know we're not we're not getting uh well, they're not making life easy for us, but when we're the toxic one mm. we're convinced that everything they've done is wrong and that we're justified in however we're acting yeah and look i and and my point is that sometimes we're in the wrong somehow, like we need to address certain issues, but at the same time life's not black and white sometimes you have your issues, but they're also not. They're, they are feeding your anxiety in a certain way, or they are contributing in a certain way, or they're not being empathetic to certain things that you're feeling, or they're, you know, sometimes it's like if you take attachment styles, right? People talk about the, you know, the, there's the book Attached that goes through anxious, secure, and um, avoidant. The anxious attachment style uh, you know, typically we're worried about the end of the relationship being abandoned. Someone doesn't love us. We need reassurance. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're with someone that inflames your anxieties all the time, that can be a problem. It doesn't mean you're not anxious and that you being anxious isn't a problem. It just means that you're also with someone who sends you to the extreme when it comes to those things. So I do. I think we have to be mindful of whether we're with someone that in a way that's not healthy, inflames the worst parts of us. Because I do think the right relationship has a somewhat calming effect. On those things.
1: That was so perfect. You're so right. Like it's not black and white. Like, even in everything we're saying, there's so much nuance to everything. Yeah. And I actually really liked you saying, like, yes, if even if we are the one that's toxic, we you know, if we acknowledge it and then try to change it, but also see, is the other person inflaming it? That was just amazing. Um, I'm so aware of that in my relationship that I have issues just like anyone else. And so I have insecurities and I know that with Tom's personality, he wants to like fix things. So if I'm insecure about something, he's trying to fix it. It ends up inflaming my insecurity on it because I feel like, well, I can fix it myself. And Mm -hmm. he's trying to jump in and it becomes like this whole thing. And he's like, I'm just trying to help. and I'm like, I feel like you're telling me what to do. And it becomes this whole thing. And so we're just very honest with each other and so now now it's just like babe my assumption is x y and z mm. or it's i'm feeling extremely insecure right now i know you think i'm nuts like i'll even say that to him. i know you think i'm nuts right now but i i the fact is i'm actually feeling very sensitive and insecure so what i need from you is and i literally tell him what i need i'm like i need you to hug me i need you to not try and fix it because I know this is a me problem. This is not a you mm, problem. Mm. And if I, my natural inclination, my natural emotions will go to annoyance, frustration, and I harden. I don't go soft. I harden. And when I harden, it becomes even more confusing. Because that's your weapon. Because that's my weapon. Oh, yeah. Right. It's my weapon.
0: But that's really interesting because that it's it's an evolution of what I'm saying, because it's, if you look at the weapons versus wounds concept, mm. right? That Our weapons destroy relationships. Our wounds have the power to, strengthen our relationships, what you're really doing there is exposing a wound
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and being brave enough to like expose it, but also showing him how to treat it. Yeah. You're like yeah. spelling out, yeah. here's my wound and here's exactly how you can treat it. And that's really powerful because now I'm, I'm, I'm going one step further than being vulnerable. I'm also showing you what you might be able to do to come to my aid right now. Mm-hmm. But like you said, that's not something someone can even start to do. If you go up to them cold and hard, <laughs> right. that's not something, someone can't even access that part of themselves because especially if, if they're ever given to questioning themselves, or, or they, they go, well, what have I done? I've done something wrong. Why are you mad at me right now? Or mm-hmm. why, you know, why am I not enough to make you happy right now? Or why, you know, then now all of a sudden you're into a whole other thing. If you went to a therapist about a situation in a relationship where someone had wronged you, I don't think any therapist would be doing their job if they started by saying, well, you saw this really early (laughs) on and you ignored it. So let's talk about you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get anywhere with someone there because at first what we need is someone to, to be sensitive to the fact that this isn't our fault. Something has happened. We have been wronged someone may have done something that was wrong and in that sense we are a victim to someone else's actions Mm -hmm. but at a certain point in our journey we have to also realize that that we've been a victim of ourselves and that doesn't mean we should hate ourselves and that's the scary part Mm -hmm. is that when we've allowed something for a long time in a relationship we and, and we then come to terms with the fact that we should have left sooner or could have left sooner but i would argue we couldn't because if you could have you would have but we feel like we should have left sooner and we wasted so much time and then comes the regret then comes the Mm self-hatred my hatred towards you turns inwards and now i hate myself for why didn't i leave and and what we have to pay particular attention to is i've i'm i've been a victim of me And I need compassion for that. Mm. I deserve compassion for that, because me is a complex person. Me is someone who has demons, has problems. They had demons that wronged me, but I had demons that allowed that to happen. I didn't think I was good enough. I was too scared to be alone. I was modeling something I'd seen from my past trauma that felt comfortable to me, even if it didn't make me happy, it felt like Mum and dad, or it felt like my early model of a relationship. So I was modeling something that wasn't designed to make me happy. It was just within my comfort zone. You know, I have my trauma, my demons. I am as, I'm a, a victim to those things. But what I can do in the next relationship is I can understand that last time around, I was a victim to those things, those, that decision-making that mm-hmm. I did last time around and I don't have to be a victim to that this time around. I can trust myself more this time around than maybe I would have then. Because a lot of women I deal with struggle in the next relationship, not just because they may frame it as I don't trust other people based on what's happened to me. But but when we trust ourselves, when we trust our own strength, when we trust our ability to pay attention and to act accordingly if someone isn't making us happy, regardless of how strong we feel for somebody. We don't fear the things they do as much. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, needing to trust is actually not as important. I hope that the people close to me won't wrong me. But I don't need to spend my life obsessing over whether... I trust them if I believe in my own strength, if I believe that I'll be okay if it goes wrong. And and that's the part that we get really scared of is I'm, we come to believe that we're brittle and that if it goes wrong again, we'll break. Mm -hmm. Or if I develop feelings for someone and they start doing things wrong, I don't trust myself to leave. So I just don't want to get close to anyone because I know what happens to me when I get close to someone. When I get close to someone, I start ignoring the bad things and I wind up in exactly the same situation. So I just, I won't even let myself get close to it. That's actually at that point, not about not trusting somebody else. It's about not trusting ourselves. And so the game becomes, I need to have trust in myself by building up my own strength. And it's why I've developed programs and... That's why I made a retreat that I take people on to build, to build the strength they have internally. Not so that they can trust other people more,
2: right. but so that they
0: can trust themselves more and know that they'll always be okay. They'll always be able to return to a place of inner peace and happiness and strength no matter what happens. And ironically, that then becomes the most attractive part about them, is that they're not living constantly in an anxious, stressed place of, uh, are you going to do something? Are you going to... They, right. they can actually say, no, I, I, I know that if I'm in the ring, I might get hit. That's like a possibility in love. It's a possibility in business. It's a po- I'm in the ring. I might, get, I might get hit. But if I know that I'm bulletproof, then I don't need to worry about stepping into the ring.
1: Here's something that I want to actually throw with what you're saying. It's so beautiful, but Tom absolutely can... Um, do things that will break me into smithereens that I know I will never recover from. If he, so I've given him two, two things that I will never stay. He cheats on me or he hits me, I'm out the door. There's no discussion, there's no explanation, there's no time to like act, debate. I'm packed and out the door before he even has a chance to say anything. And I know that, that could potentially break me for the rest of my life, hmm. but it's worth it. Because what I have with him, the trust, the comfort the security that I feel right now is worth it knowing that he still can absolutely break me and when I think of the alternative to be in a relationship where I can't fully give myself over yeah. I don't un- I don't know for myself and this is purely I'm just talking about myself I don't feel like I can properly pr- properly bond with that person and give myself over to them and I think that in a relationship It is a beautiful thing to do, to be able to give yourself over to someone and give them, and again, I'm talking from someone that has never had the extreme abuse or, you know, been cheated on. But there is power for me and my relationship, for Tom to give over to me and for me to give over to him.
0: Yes. And look, in boxing, you, you learn you can't throw a punch without exposing yourself to a punch. Yeah, It's not possible. You could sit and defend the whole time. Meanwhile, you'll still end up getting hit somewhere defending. Mm-hmm. But, but if you want to throw a punch, the moment my, my, my fist leaves the side of my head, I'm exposed. Mm-hmm. In life, you can't make an impact without being vulnerable without making yourself vulnerable. Mm. I can't release a YouTube video without risking someone complaining about something I've said, someone disagreeing with something I said, someone finding fault, someone ascribing the worst possible intentions to something I've said. I can't, if I wanna throw a punch, and in this case it's release a piece of content that I'm proud of that I think is gonna help people, I can't do that without risking, without opening myself up. So at that point, we have to say, part of the recipe for getting back into a relationship after having been hurt is to simply ask yourself, what's the alternative?
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: If you ask yourself, is it possible that in this next relationship, someone's not going to cheat on me? Well, your brain might go, They're definitely gonna cheat because everyone you've ever been with has always cheated on you. Right. But if you say, well, what's the alternative to me putting myself in another relationship? It well, it's I guess never literally let a part of me die is what it equates to. I'm not gonna flirt with anyone again, I'm not gonna let anything get anyone get close, I'm not gonna express this part of me that is essential to my being. I, I have to amputate a part of my my personality and my needs that are essential to my being well that seems to me like too high of a price to pay to avoid some pain Mm. so which is possible
1: so would you say what type of what what relationship do i want to be in what are the necessary things well i would
0: i i would say what's In the same way that i make a video i know that there are times where i've made a video and there's a response that is a really ungenerous interpretation of something i've said and i'm just like screw this Mm -hmm. there's an ego part of me that's just like i don't need to do this like why am i doing this Mm -hmm. i don't want to you know like and it Immediately I want to shut down and I want to be like, I, I'm done, I'm done making videos.
1: How many times have you heard people say, I'm done with relationships? Correct. Yeah. And it's the
0: same thing. Yeah. But then you have to say, what's the alternative?
1: Yeah.
0: So, the first step in putting yourself back out there in your love life is to just believe that it's necessary because the alternative is too high of a price to pay. Now you'll notice that that doesn't need you That doesn't require you to believe that something else is even possible. It doesn't require you to change your whole beliefs about what's possible in your love life. To lose all of your trauma and all of those parts of you that are like, everyone's going to do this to me. This is always going to be... You don't even have to deal with that yet. Because all you need to deal with is the part of you that wants to shut down. Reason with that part of yourself and say, let's run this experiment. Is this... Re- is the alternative really a life we want mm-hmm. or is it too high of a price to pay and it's really easy to say i'm going i'm done with dating right okay fine after a year two years three years four years you start to realize that i am missing something fundamental in my life by not engaging in this part of life the second step is once you believe okay it fine You got me. It's necessary. I can't just turn this part of me off. I have to still, somehow this is a game I have to play. I have to be in it because it's essential to my being. We have the power to make someone else very, very happy on our best day. When we bring our full, the full energy of our love to the table, we have the power to make someone else very happy. We also have the power to walk away if we realize that While we're willing to give all of that, somebody else isn't. Well, if that happens, I'll adjust course. But to say to ourselves, this light that I have, that has the potential to do so much good, that has the potential to make someone else so happy, I am gonna simply shut down or shut in a box and put away
1: All lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa.
0: Because I'm afraid that someone could hurt me. That is to base our entire lives on our own ego and my perceived fragility. I can't take it. But what about what you have to give? What about what you can actually do for somebody else?
1: And how do you unwire those beliefs though? Because if you've got the belief and you've been in different relationships and they've all ended very badly, let's say, you have the belief that either all men are bad or all women are bad um, or the belief that I'm no good and I shouldn't be in a relationship in the first place. Is there a way then to dismantle the belief
0: as you build a new one? The, the greatest weapon that you have against existing beliefs, and it's an unsung hero, it will make its entrance quietly, it won't even disturb your existing beliefs. You can, your existing beliefs can feel secure in themselves, and you could just Trojan horse this little thing in that starts to mess it all up. And that's curiosity. Curiosity, for me, is one of the most powerful words in the English language. I don't, I don't need to believe that something, that what I want is possible. I just need to get curious about, well, what happens if I do this instead of this? You know, one of my negative patterns, it still can rear its head if I'm not careful. I have to keep an eye on it. But one of my negative patterns is, or was, to, in an argument with my partner, it would be to get scared, because it would trigger something old. Have an argument, and it would trigger this old baggage of this is, I'd feel anxious, Mm. and I'd be like, this is gonna end.
1: Because of past experiences you've had.
0: Yeah, past experiences, or maybe childhood stuff, who knows, Mm -hmm. like it could be a whole cocktail of things, but it's, for whatever reason, an argument might trigger in me this immediate fight or flight response. Mm. No, in a relationship, fight or flight. <laughs> neither one is great. Gonna... <laughs> <I was> like... <laughs> so, and and by the way, there's different. There's fight, flight, freeze, faint. Right?
1: None of those are good in a relationship. None really.
0: of them serve you well when it comes to the inner workings of a romantic relationship. <laughs> yeah. But if you think about those, you know, I would either fight, and I'd say something really negative or something that would be that i would later regret Mm -hmm. or i would or flight which can come in the form of freeze right you you don't have to physically go for flight if you you can do flight just by staying in the same bed as someone but rolling over and turning Mm -hmm. your back to them and and going quiet and Those would be my two responses. Now, part of that was the belief that if, you know, this means danger and if it means danger, I need to protect myself. Well, what are the two ways I protect myself? Fight. So either go on offense as a form of defense Mm -hmm. or flight. I'm gonna distance myself so that you can no longer, this anxiety that I'm feeling, can't exist if we don't have such a strong connection. Mm. So I'm gonna try and sever the connection so that I can't feel this level of anxiety. Curiosity, how does that make its entrance into that equation where I'm so certain of every, I'm so my anxiety is so certain that this means danger. And I'm so certain about what the right thing to do is. It Okay, curiosity okay. says, I am going to try something different. Against all of my instincts, I am going to say, I feel scared right now. And I wanna talk to you about what we're talking mm-hmm. about, but right now my brain is shutting down because it's just going to a place of, of fear and anxiety. I I don't know if I'm thinking straight right now. When you say that, what it's making me feel is this, and I don't know if that's really valid, but what I do know is sometimes when we have conversations like this, I feel myself shutting down because I feel myself getting scared. Now, who knows what will happen? With the wrong partner, I'll get a different result, but it might be another bad result but it will be different. And curiosity is great, because it doesn't need to feel like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't need to win. Right. Curiosity mm. is just, oh, that got a different result. Still not a great result, but it got a different result. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: But and maybe now that becomes a flag that you wish you
0: saw in the last relationship earlier on. Well, exactly, because if I get vulnerable and I get a bad response to my vulnerability, mm-hmm. then I'm learning, I'm actually learning something new. Yeah. In the right relationship, if I get vulnerable like that, and then my partner says, oh my God, well, firstly, you're safe. The fact that we're talking about this, the fact that we're having this argument in no way threatens us. We are solid. I want us to deal with this because it's important, but you and me are solid. So you don't have to to worry about that. We're not brittle. This isn't going anywhere. So then I go, Okay, what were you saying? What was the thing you were mad about? Okay, let me talk, let's talk about that. Now what got me to it? Now what happens is I get a reference point. Whoa. I didn't do fight. I didn't do flight. I did this other thing and I got a different response. So my curiosity has now created a new reference point for a different belief. Mm. That, oh, I can be vulnerable and be safe. And not only that, but it even made my relationship stronger because she knows me better. And also I know her better because I know what she does when I get vulnerable. So Mm. this becomes suddenly this very, very powerful healing moment in a relationship. Not because I believed something different, but because I was curious about almost being a, an experimenter. A scientist, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be good or bad, it's just, what's the result? What's the result when I do this thing? And if it's a good result, that curiosity has led me somewhere powerful. Even if it's a bad result, what did I really lose? I just got curious about what happens if I do things differently. If a woman is f- afraid because she feels like guys are only there, to, they're only messing her around in, in dating today, guys just only want one thing. They mess me around, they don't try, they don't take me on real dates, they want sex or sexuality far too quickly. And so that's made me shut down. You know, I now shut down when I'm talking to someone new because I'm just worried that the moment I start to open up, they're gonna try and take it to a sexual place and then that's gonna. Well, Well, normally what I do is shut down and assume all guys are a certain way. Or, in the past, I've run headfirst into something and really gotten myself hurt because I didn't communicate. Well, let me just get curious. I don't even need to believe that men can be good. I don't need to believe that. I just have to have some fun being curious. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what would happen if the next time a guy tried to get sexual... A, a little more quickly than I would like. What if I actually pointed out to him that I really like him and I find him really attractive, and I am a very I'm a sexual person. You know, all of that sounds fun at some point, but right now I really want to get to know him better. Right now I really want to understand who he is more. Right now I I kind of want to see what this could be first. If there's a if there's a different a deeper kind of connection, because you know. That kind of fun on its own is just not the phase of life I'm in. I'm up for that kind of fun with everything else. But that on its own is is not something I'm looking for. What would happen if I was honest with that kind of compassion and charm and openness? What would happen? Maybe I don't know. Because maybe I never do it. So instead of assuming how all of life is, why don't I just experiment why don't i get curious because all of life isn't the way that you or i have experienced it Mm. it's one of the reasons why i'm like i get so fucked up in my job because i'm not necessarily right i have my experience Mm. and what i've been through and i piece it together with the mosaic of so many people I've worked with over time, and that's created some general truths that I find really valuable. I think it's I've been able to create and define some first principle thinking on which people can layer whatever specific ways of doing things they want. But the first principles are are really important. I think I've arrived at a lot of really powerful first principles in my career. But we're still working from what we know, and, and we know that, what we know is so limited. For anyone who's been cheated on a lot, or been abused, or been in difficult relationships, or struggled to meet someone, or struggled to find anyone who wants something serious, what they have to be honest about is that their collection of experiences still represents a tiny Mm -hmm. fraction of the available experiences in life. And that there are people who get wildly different experiences than what they're getting because they do things differently. And we'll never know, in our little world of how we do things, we'll never truly know how many different experiences in life are actually available if we do things differently. We have just, our programming, our trauma, our childhood, everything we've been through has set us up to do a certain thing that keeps getting a result that now feels like, universally, that's what life or people must be like. But we're on this very specific set of train tracks that keeps ending up in the same destination. And we just don't realise how programmed we are to kind of do a certain thing over and over and over again. You hate parties until you go to a party with your friends and there's music you like, and all of a sudden you're like, (laughs) "Parties can be fun." You know, you you learn. Oh, there's so many different. This is what everyone's been talking about when they're having a good time doing this thing. If I can maybe add one more thing on top of curiosity, one of the things that can really help us through. Hmm through our own trauma, through the things that we've been through, through our own scars or wounds, if we don't want to call them trauma, is humility. Mm. Humility that all of us have gotten to a certain point of our, of, in our lives where we look back on something we were so sure of and have thought, whoa, m- not only was I so sure of that, I was so deeply, deeply misguided. I was so wrong. It may even be that the direct opposite is true of what I believed. Or, or I've come to believe that the direct opposite is true. And, and we get humbled in those moments. And we would do well to remember those moments when we have convinced ourselves that life is a certain way, no one can be trusted, everyone's gonna do this to me, this is always gonna be my experience, I'm never gonna meet someone because I haven't, I've been single for 10 years now and I haven't met anybody in that time. We would do well to introduce alongside that curiosity to to add a dash of humility into that cocktail because we have been here before in this place of certainty and we have been just as wrong as we might prove to be about what we believe today.
1: Well, I literally didn't want to stop you. That was so freaking fire. I'm such a person that's like, well, belief is all that matters. You've literally just completely debunked my thinking. And I love the curiosity. Like that's the thing. That's what I really wanted to dig into today is like, what are the things that we can do so we don't get trapped, that we don't get stuck, that we don't see something and misinterpret and then never trust ourselves again. Um, so curiosity and humility over belief,
0: that's so incredible. When it comes to struggling with the very uh, notion of committing, social media has exacerbated and magnified the, the ego, the needs we have, the need for attention, the need for connection, the need we're seeing all of these things. And in a sense, the same is true of dating apps. What dating apps do and what the choice problem does is it it interrupts the normal kind of attraction circuitry. So if we go on a date back in the day before any of this was a possibility, A, it probably would have been more difficult to get that date. <laughs> right. Right? Some people today would say, well, it's probably easier because now I talk to all these people on apps and it never even turns into a date. So there's that. But, in order to get on a date back in the day, you had to do something brave, right? And because you were brave, you kind of valued it differently. You know, when you do a brave thing and because you did a brave thing, you value it. I went over there and I spoke to that person and he or she liked me and said, yes, what are the chances? They said yes and we ended up exchanging numbers and, and then someone had to call, they couldn't even text, they had to call. They had to call and say, do you want to go on a date? That takes bravery, it takes effort. Yeah. And then you got on the date, which already you value more because effort had to go into getting the date. And now after the date, what happens? It, it's effort to get another date, right? So you're probably actually just appreciative of the date you have and you're looking forward to the next time you see that person mm. so now what you have is which, a very very important part of attraction is anticipation is the the there's a there's a darker negative side to the fantasizing about someone which is all the projection we do and mm. attributing wonderful qualities to them we don't even know they have yet and that makes everything too high stakes too soon makes us fall in love too quickly but it also has a Bright side, which is when we're away from someone and we're investing in them through our thoughts, even if it's not visible to them, we're investing psychologically in the situation. What could it be we with replaying the date? Oh, was not it really fun when that happened? Oh, I really like that thing they said. Oh, I can't wait to see them again. All right. You know, I'm a little nervous about seeing them again. We have all of that. That creates a a, a kind of attraction narrative, an attraction plot line Mm. that plays out. Well. Compare that with now. You go on a dating app, you're talking not just to one person, most likely. You're talking to multiple people. Imagine trying to watch five movies at the same time (laughs) and enjoying any one of them. It doesn't matter how great any of the movies are. You're watching five at the same time. If you have five screens in front of you at the same time, you're watching movies like people watch sports in a sports bar where there's baseball and there's football and there's basketball and there's... You're not not deeply invested in any one game. You're not in it. You're, You're being spread amongst all these multiple plot lines. So it's harder to get invested. Now you go on a date, right? At the end of that date, we get home. And what do we do? Within seconds, we open up our phone. We go straight to the app that got us the date in the first place. And we see what else is going on. Who else has messaged me? And you're into not only another attraction plotline, but you've had the one that you were in disrupted. That could be a positive thing in the sense of not getting us too invested too quickly in one person, but it can also, the dark side of it, is that we never really get invested in anybody.
1: Wow. I love that you you point out the the dark and the light. That's really Mm. powerful. And you're 100% right. It's just easy, right, to flip through people. It's like, oh, maybe there's someone else. Maybe there's someone else. Mm. Maybe there's someone else. But with Tom and I, it's like we were dating cross-country. So it was like you had to plan the time that you were going to speak on the phone. And that commitment to each other um, was very evident almost from the start because we either... Um, showed the commitment in, in our actions or we didn't. So to me, that was a great sign that, oh, he's willing to commit to this like I am.
0: We value what we invest in. It, you know, we, we want to know what's valuable so that we can invest in it, but, but it also works the other way around. You are investing in something, mm. and the more you invest in it, the more you care about it. But if you never invest in anything, it's the same as a job. You know, you, you really, the career you sculpt for yourself, That you really work on and you really make your own you end up caring about it because you've invested in it that's so
1: true so then how do you navigate when someone is let's say i'm in a relationship and i'm looking to come here i'm putting the time and effort and energy like you said i'm really nurturing it but the other person isn't doing the same Mm. how do you approach the commitment discussion from the get-go Um, and know whether you should invest, because sometimes there is there really even a should or shouldn't? Um, Because so many women that I personally know have gone into, okay, I'm gonna commit to this person. They've poured themselves in it, but they're not getting it reciprocated back. Mm -hmm. And so now what ends up happening is because of their past, they are now afraid to commit, not because they don't want to commit, but because they're afraid to, because they have given it so much before Mm -hmm. and it wasn't reciprocated.
0: We have to look at our own patterns and say, what happened before that led me to so much pain? Mm. Because I'm associating this pain with the idea of me giving a lot. Mm. But but maybe this pain has been misattributed. Maybe this pain is not the result of me having given a lot. The pain is the result of me having ignored a lot of what I wasn't getting. That... The giving part of me is one of the most beautiful parts of me. I always think when we leave a relationship where it didn't pan out, but we threw ourselves in and gave our all, we get to see the best side of ourselves in a way. Mm. You know, we get to see what we can be when we really show up. That should actually give us some confidence knowing that, God, that's... I gave it to the wrong person, maybe. That's who I can be.
1: And people don't do that though, right? They beat themselves up. People are like, I can't believe I gave myself yep. over. Why did I do it? Yep. And it almost has the opposite. We, at least for me, I didn't see it as being beautiful. I just told myself, you're so stupid, Lisa. You shouldn't have done that.
0: Yeah. And, and 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 two things are important. One is to take take the beauty in what you gave and know that in the right hands, that remains a beautiful thing. Mm. But to, under, to really seek to understand... What was I ignoring? And why was I ignoring it? What was going on with me that I was ignoring it? Not to beat myself up, I really don't believe in that. Don't say, I can't believe I didn't do this before, I'm so stupid, say, I wish, you know, yeah, it would have been nice if I'd had this information then, but I was, I'm a different person now. And that's where change comes from, is that I'm legitimately a different person than I was when I was making those decisions before. The danger is if we say, Giving equals pain. No, giving doesn't equal pain. Ignoring things, ignoring the fact that I'm giving to the wrong person equals pain. And therefore, being more practical or measured or or conscious about who I give my energy to is really the 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 better frame that I need to have, the better paradigm I need to have going forward. Now, you could look at that practically in the context of your original question, which is, you know, uh, how do you know who to give to? And what if you're not getting it back? Mm. You can apply a practical model in terms of time. You could say to yourself, what amount of time am I willing to lose? If I really Mm. believe in this and I believe in this person, what amount of time am I willing to lose? Am I willing to give for a month or for two months and to see where this can go if I really give my all? In which case, fine, let me put a two month cap on it but let me not reevaluate that at the end of two months and go, well, maybe I'll give it another six. That's what I was gonna say. People may move the goalpost. Right, and so that's why it's, time isn't the only factor, because if you just said, I'm gonna give relentlessly for two months, mm. then it gives you an excuse not to pay attention to what you're getting in return. <laughs> Unconditional love doesn't, isn't real in the context of romantic relationships it's just not we want to believe it is but it's not yeah romantic relationships are conditional because who would want to be in a relationship long term with someone who never gave back a relationship can't be unconditional love because you're choosing to enter into a you know a, a, an agreement with someone about us being together us spending time together us a having an effect on each other's energy, on, on how we spend our time, on, and I'm gonna give to you. And as there's an opportunity cost to that because it means I can't give to somebody else and, and therefore I need a genuine teammate. Mm. And so I need to assess in the moment, is this person acting like a teammate or is this person just taking? Is this person just using me because they want some validation at this point in their life? Mm. You know, do they? Uh, am I just a, a brief chapter for them? But I'm actually investing in this as if it's going somewhere. Those are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves and them. We have to be brave enough to ask questions of somebody that that may have answers with we fear. Right. Most people are afraid to ask the questions that can that may contain answers they're not ready to handle. And so what they say is, oh, I'm just seeing what it is. I'm just. I'm just going with the flow. And that becomes really a euphemism for, Mm. I'm scared to ask a question. I'm afraid to talk about that because I'm afraid I'll get an answer I don't want. Or I'm afraid I'll get an answer that, or I'm afraid that me asking the question is going to scare someone away. But if it's going so well, how are you going to scare someone away that easily? How is that that going to scare them away if it's going well? It can only scare away (laughs) the wrong person. It can't scare away the right person so true well the thing i've been working on for years with people is both the theoretical side the philosophical side and the practical side of Mm. all of this because there's people will say okay so i need to go and have the conversation so how do i have the conversation what does it mean to have the conversation now we're into the language Mm -hmm. of it not just the theory and that's really important if you wanted to learn to public speak you there would be a philosophical element of how what mindset should you have when you go on stage but there's also a very practical element of how do you structure a great speech what are the actual words that
1: come out of my mouth exactly this episode is sponsored by real good foods click the link in the episode description and use code women of impact all one word for 25 dollars off any purchase of 25 dollars or more now enjoy the episode Should you then, yeah, vocalise, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a
0: committed relationship. Are you willing or is that too harsh? Well, everything is about timing. And in the beginning of dating, you don't have to say, are we leading to a committed relationship? Because on date two, that is going to freak someone out Mm. most likely. But if someone told you three or four weeks in, I don't want a relationship, you're more than within your rights to say, I, listen... I am very much in a place in my life where casual fun is not exciting to me. What's exciting to me is actually creating something more meaningful, like a real connection with someone. And I don't need you to decide next week to be in a committed relationship with me. We're still getting to know each other. I don't even know you well enough to necessarily know that right now. But if you're not even open to the prospect of something more, then I think I might need to redirect my energy somewhere else. That's that's strong, Mm -hmm. it's still compassionate, it's Mm non-judgmental, because that's the place people go when they're angry or when they're afraid. Well, why aren't you looking for a committed relationship? Or, oh, so you're just looking for a bit of fun? Or It's like, whoa, don't bring anger into it. Mm. Your game is not to worry about someone else. Your game is energy management for yourself because people burn out today in dating there's a lot of what's you know you, you can term dating burnout people are tired of the apps they're tired of dates that don't go anywhere they're tired of oh my god i was texting someone for 3 months and then nothing even came of it i'm so sick of this but people burn out when they use their energy in in ways that burn it too quickly or when they invest too much in something that isn't actually going anywhere or when they have long protracted pseudo relationships with someone who doesn't actually want the same thing, but they get stuck in limbo with that person. That's poor energy management.
2: Mm.
0: What I wanna do is always be aware. I have a limited amount of energy. Not everyone can have it. And my heart isn't something I give, it's a house that I invite people into, right? I don't just give my heart, it's a a place. Mm. And I don't just let any old stranger, because they seem attractive, come and just live in the house. So that early stage is really about, there's almost a, my brother has this phase. My brother, Steve Hussey is a writer for us. He has invest and test. Mm. Give a little, see how someone responds to that. If they respond positively and if they give a little back, that's wonderful. It's like texting someone in the morning. You text someone in the morning and say, I hope you're having a great day, handsome. You know, how's your morning so far? That's wonderful. It's beautiful. You don't need to sit there and go, would Matthew Hussey tell me to text him (laughs) this morning or should I not?
1: Yeah, just be authentic. Just be you. But
0: tomorrow, maybe see if they reach out to you in the morning. Mm. Or even if if you did it the last two days, see if on the third day they do it. But if you... People will come to me and say... I think they like me. You know, every time I text them, they respond. When I ask them out, they say yes. Okay, but what happens if you don't? What happens if you're not the one doing the work? Do they then step in to fill that space? Is it a dance? Or is it just you always walking over to meet them where they are? That's the dangerous part. You have to You have to be brave enough to step in sometimes, but you also have to be brave enough to step back and see if they
2: Mm. step in.
0: And that's what a lot of people just don't do. They give and they give and they give and they're not discerning about whether someone's meeting them at that level of energy.
1: I think, yeah, because it's just really hard to be to feel rejected. Right. So I think that that comes part of it is like if you step back, you are now leaving space to be hurt. Because if they don't come towards you, that hurts, right? That you you can get in your own head that I'm not good enough or whatever narrative you're telling yourself. So I actually get why that is difficult, but I totally understand that it is necessary. Because if you don't, then you're always stepping in and being the one that's giving and not receiving. And there's some people that
0: never step in. So Mm. they have the opposite problem. Mm. They're so defensive and their walls are so up that they never actually take the brave step of stepping in and letting someone know that they like them or letting them know that, that they would like to see them again. Right. You know, and, and they're, because they're so afraid that if I do that, I can be rejected. So I'm going to make it so that someone can't even reject me. But that's, you know, that, then, then we're, we're not getting results for the opposite reason. If we step in all the time and never give someone space, we lose someone's respect.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> if we never step in, then someone can't even get close enough to find out how amazing we are. So we go around saying no one ever likes me or nothing ever happens for me, but you're never actually giving someone enough of yourself for them to get invested. Mm. They're just seeing you from the outside.
1: So true. I like that you said that, you know, when we just need to look back at our own behaviors and where are the things that we did? Where are the flags that we ignored? Like that's so powerful, like taking ownership to say, how can I not make the same mistake next time? Um, Should we worry? about our partner's past and their level of comit- commitment in their past relationships. So let's say I've done all the work myself, I've assessed how I've gotten into a habit of maybe committing more than my partner or wanting commitment and not receiving it. Mm-hmm. I've done all the work. Now when I make the selection, because you know I think selection really matters, when I make the selection to go on a date or to be with somebody, how much does their past mm influence who they're gonna show up as and how much should I worry about that? Because one of the phrases, while um, scary, I do think it's true. If they do it for you, they'll do it to you. Mm -hmm. And so worrying that if somebody, let's say, has left a partner for you or something like that, how much do you have to worry about that, their level of commitment in past relationships?
0: Tricky question. (laughs) there is a difference i think between someone who comes to you already showing evidence of having shifted gears from their past and someone who in a sense the very behaviors of the past you're worried about are actually baked into the beginning of the relationship mm-hmm. because they you know they they're with you because they cheated on their wife or their boyfriend or whatever in order to be with you that is harder. of it's to someone's going to have a much harder job convincing you that that behavior is in the past for them mm. when the very way that the relationship started is a reflection of that behavior mm. so i do think there's a distinction to be made if someone has had a past but they're saying you know i've met you under different circumstances i and, and if you see that someone is acknowledging their past if you Mm -hmm. see that they are taking ownership for their past and and that therefore you're able to see a true evolution there even just in the way that they're owning it now it's not an easy task the job of anybody who has a past is to speak well about the changes that have occurred in them and why they've occurred Mm -hmm. and to then back those those claims up with real action. There's a, there's a, you know, character is consistent. Character is something that you see in people's actions every day.
1: The intoxication in a relationship we can have over being admired and admiring someone, the lust of a relationship and the intoxication of love in a relationship and how often we as couples or we as people can sometimes um, mistake lust for love.
0: Well, certainly, a lot of bad decisions are made on lust alone. The desiring of a person and what we think we will get if we could just obtain that person that we desire. And that doesn't mean that the person you're desiring doesn't want you. Right. It just means that you there's still that feeling when someone's mysterious, when we're really, really attracted to them, There's that feeling of trying to get them, whatever get means. I need to secure this thing, this person, this relationship. And in trying to secure it, we can neglect to ever stop and ask ourselves the question, is this thing that I'm trying to get, is this person I'm trying to get capable of really actually making me happy?
1: I love that. So let's take a scenario where you first meet someone because I think there's different levels in a relationship that we can take through. So let's start at just meeting someone. You often hear, oh my God, it was love at first sight. Mm. So A, do you actually believe in love at first sight or do you think it's actually lust at first sight and we're mistaken it? And then I want to talk about how that can actually lead to potential um, misinterpretation of where the relationship is going.
0: Love at first sight is typically a story told by the victors. Go on. We've all, we've all had moments where you felt something very powerful, very quickly. But when we look back at situations where someone turned out to be very selfish, where they broke our heart, where their intentions weren't good, or where they just, it feels like they just used us and then moved on we don't then romantically tell the story of it was love at first sight Mm -hmm. we say that was a really toxic situation or i got really caught up with someone and it bit me we don't talk about love at first sight love at first sight is very easy to talk about retroactively with someone that you're still with 20 years later (laughs) you can look back and go it was love at first sight it doesn't mean there weren't feelings at first sight it's just that You then build and build and build and build and build, and it's quite romantic in retrospect to say that what we had in the beginning was very powerful. In the beginning, you can have a powerful attraction, which we might call chemistry. You could also say there's a powerful connection, which is we immediately got the sense that we understood each other, that. Our outlooks on the world were either very similar or very compatible, that we felt like our belief systems merged, our values synergized. We, you and me together, there is something there, both physical and perhaps cerebral, and maybe even soulful. The problem with overvaluing those things, it's not that those things aren't to be valued, of course it's... Fantastic when you have physical chemistry. You don't always have it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people rarely have it. Of course, it's wonderful when you have a real deep soul connection with someone. You don't get that with everyone. But none of that refers to intention or investment. Mm. Attention is not the same as intention. You could give me lots of attention have no real intention behind it. There might be no intention for this thing to go anywhere. How many entrepreneurs or or wannabe entrepreneurs get really excited about a new business idea? But there's no intention to stick with it. There's just the, I'm doing this right now because it's just really exciting right now. But as soon as it gets difficult, I'm not gonna keep going. Or when it actually means waking up every day and grinding and doing the same things over and over and over again, I'm no longer gonna be interested and I'll move on to the next business idea Mm. that i'm excited about so attention is not intention can i just follow up a question there Mm. before we move on so but the thing with attention then is
1: how in those moments do you decipher that it it is attention and not love like this right like you can say but he loves me because he keeps phoning me and he keeps showing me and like lavishing me with all this love and flowers but actually it's it's the attraction that Mm. is that is attracting them
0: i suppose we have to define what love means to us. When I think of love, I think of something that is generous and giving. And, and it's not about just accessing a feeling. There's the feeling of love, mm. of being in love, which isn't the same thing as, as being loving. But if you're on the receiving end... It's tough in the beginning because you can mistake the two. Exactly. And, and what someone does to impress you so that they, by reflection, can feel impressive,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it's really... Sometimes people take us on a wonderful date because they want to feel good about themselves. If I take you on an amazing date and, you know, there's fireworks and you come away from that going... Oh, You're amazing. Then I get to feel amazing. We all want to feel amazing. Mm. And if the way I have learned how to feel amazing is by impressing other people, then the impressing has nothing to do with being loving. It has everything to do with me feeling impressive. Mm. and wanting you to reflect back at me how wonderful I am. And that is especially true of very charismatic and charming people. They tend to be the people that the first time we meet them, we go away going, God, they were so nice. Oh, they were such a, they were, I really like that person because they made you feel great. They f- you feel like the sun is on you and it feels wonderful, but as quickly as it's shining on you, it can move on. And how do you tell the difference? You look for consistency. It's very easy to value intensity when we have it, especially because it plays to some kind of love story or an idea of a love story we've had in our head for a very long time about what it's gonna be like to fall in love. It's gonna be grand and it's gonna be exciting and it is gonna be fireworks and it's gonna be all of these giddy feelings. And so it's very easy to, it's not that those things are an evil. Right. It's just that it's very easy to, to overvalue them There are plenty of highs in life that they're not necessarily inherently bad because they're a high. It's just that you have to kind of see it for what it is. This is a high, but it doesn't mean you're going to feel like this when you wake up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow, whatever is the baseline of life, it's like someone going out and, and doing a drug that makes them feel unbelievable. It's not necessarily an evil to go out and do something that alters your state and makes you feel great but what you have to remember is how you wake up the day later, what, what life you experience the next day, that's your actual life. This was a high and you're not going to be able to live there all the time. The next day, that's your actual life or the life you had before you did it is your actual life. And the same is true in in dating. It's where does the baseline return to? When you're not on that ecstatic date with someone, when you're not in the throes of the most romantic moment, what is it like with that person on a Tuesday? (laughs) What's their level of communication like on a normal day? How do they make you feel? Do they make you feel secure in the fact that they like you and that they're still going to be there the day the next day or do they Take you on that great date and then you don't hear from them for a week Because if they took you on that amazing date and then there was no real follow-up. There was no real consistency Their presence in your life disintegrates between those highs then you know that this isn't this isn't love because love, in that moment when they took you on that great date, they were trying to feel something. But in the rest of the time, they're, not paying, they're clearly not paying attention to how you're feeling. And that's what love is. Love is, it works in two directions, right? The idea of love as a generous act works both ways. It's not all selfless. Love as a generous act can be very selfish, right? It's what am I giving to myself? Am I taking care Mm. of myself? Am I taking care of my own needs? A lot of people in a relationship where they're unhappy because their needs aren't getting met need to start giving more love to themselves. All their love has been going outwards. What does this person need? How do I make them happy? How do I please them? How do I? And the reason none of their needs are being met is because they're not actually turning that love inward Mm. and saying, oh yeah, there's two people in this relationship. I'm I'm one of I'm 50% of the people in this relationship and 50% of the people in that I'm pleasing in this relationship are going undernourished. I'm not I'm literally only paying attention to half the audience in this relationship. I need to love the other half by asking for what I want, by by demanding it, by expecting that my needs are saying my needs are important enough to get met. So so, so love is internal too, but it's also in the case of someone who gives you so much and then disappears, they're not really loving you because they're not listening. Mm. And it is one of the reasons, by the way, someone might say, but how?" they may not know that you're suffering between dates. They may not know that you need more attention or that they need, you need more communication. What? That's where it's incumbent on us in early dating to say, Hey, I we I had so much fun on the date with you. I didn't hear from you from the last four days. It made me kind of sad. You Ooh, have to be real. That, I actually totally hear you. But it's very difficult to put
1: yourself out there like that because... As you know, you've spoken very eloquently so many times before of that just because you act one way and you perceive something one way doesn't mean that they perceive it the same way. And so, for me to be honest and open and say to someone after four, you know, because I want to be real, like everything you've just said, I want to be have a, you know, build a transparent relationship. So, I'm just going to start from the beginning. I'm going to say this because that's the gift that I want. Now, what if the other person, though? In their shoes perceives it as wow that's actually really forward and while I actually really liked you and I was so with you on it my perception is I've, I'm busy I've got all this life and so if, if you're now demanding that I have to text you within four days and you're saying you miss me right so something that can be so genuine and so beautiful and so pure and you're both connected mm. in those acts how would you suggest um, People go about it, like, do you think, well, that's, you need to be pure and you need to be who you are and if someone doesn't meet you there, then maybe they're not right? Or is there like some malleability at the beginning of a relationship where you can hold back, see where they are, or is that deception?
0: It's a great point. Playfulness in the beginning is your friend. When you don't know someone very well, when you're just kind of testing the waters with each other, trying to figure out how much you like each other. I'm not suggesting that after date one, you send someone a message saying, I didn't hear from you for three days. It made me kind of sad. Um, I do think, however, if someone goes on a first date with you and five days later, they say, what are you up to this weekend? I do think you can be playful about it and be like, Uh, I'm, you know, doing this with my friends. I'm not sure about Sunday. By the way, P.S. This message was three days late. (laughs) You know, like, where was this message three days ago? Yeah, yeah. Um, You could be playful about it. But I'm also, I am also saying like, hey, idiot, we had a good time. Like, where was the message? Asking me out again, this has been five days. Playfulness is your friend at that stage. And because we're alluding to something serious, which is that in order for me to invest time in someone, I need to know that they like me, which is a serious point. You don't have to be serious in your communication of that point. Mm. And that's one of the things that when we lose our confidence, we stop being playful. Like I went to my, my friend's house Who I'd known for years, but I, you know, anytime I went to his house with his family, he's got a wife and and three kids. Anytime I went to his house, I would still sort of play the guest where I'd wait for someone to ask me if I wanted a drink or whatever. And he once, you know, I once walked in and everyone was grabbing their plates for dinner. And he said, "The name's John. He said, Matthew's not grabbing his own plate right now because he still thinks he's a guest in this house who has Mm. to be waiting on. And... And I laughed and I was like, "Ah, okay, I'm no longer a guest. Let me grab a plate. Like he didn't, he didn't say to me, Matthew, I think you and I need to have a talk. (laughs) You're still coming to this house and being too uptight. You know, he didn't say that. He just, he made a little, he he poked fun of me a little bit uh, Mm. in a playful way. But that takes a kind of looseness. You have to be loose to do that Mm. when you when you're afraid I don't know if I want to say this because it might turn them off I don't know if I want to say this Mm. because it might be too intense when we do that that's actually when we get intense (laughs) we start overthinking everything and then when we overthink we go I'm just not going to say anything because I don't want to ruin it because we're having a nice time and I I just don't want to screw it up but what's happening now is you're no longer communicating the things that indicate the kind of relationship you're actually looking for. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Most people who are being intentional about wanting to meet someone, they value consistency. Are you actually showing me that you like me? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Are you actually making me feel safe in this situation? Or am I constantly second-guessing whether you like me? Now, a lot of people feel that way. Of course, when we're not in a healthy place ourselves, we might value inconsistency. <laughs> we might value someone who makes us constantly second guess ourselves because we think that that's, that's attractive in some way, that, that mm-hmm. m- this person must be valuable if they're messing me around. So there's a whole thing to talk about there, but, but people who are being intentional and people who want to find love generally feel safe when there's consistency from the other person but of all the people that think that only a small percentage actually communicate that in a healthy way
1: that's so i almost don't want to go past the whole that some people value inconsistency like that's actually really strong do you mind going a little deeper on that that was
0: so powerful two things can happen one we don't get honest with ourselves about what we need to be happy so we we don't chase the right things.
2: Mm.
0: We, instead of saying, oh, this person's actually being consistent with me, this person's actually not leaving me in doubt as to whether they like me or not. This person's actually making a plan to see me. Instead of following that, knowing that actually, ultimately, this is what, where peace lies, is in a person who's doing these things, mm. we chase the person who is always making a second guess ourselves. One of the reasons that we do that is because, well, there's a couple of things. So one, there's the economics of value. What is scarce, what is difficult to obtain, what I have to fight for must be more valuable. And that's a really dangerous thing to apply to your love life. Because someone can be hard to get, unavailable, constantly dipping on and off your radar, not because they're so valuable, Mm. but because they're so unavailable or because they have issues of their own or because they're selfish or because they're only out for themselves, or that that doesn't equate to value. And by the way, here's what's really fascinating about that. That same person might be available a year from now and start doing the right things. But because they're no longer fitting the, let's say, the bad boy stereotype, the woman he's now available to is like, hm, he doesn't seem as important or as valuable as this guy who's making my life really difficult. Mm. <laughs>
1: And do you think that is that in the moments that they're not making the life difficult, they're like, oh my god, they're making me feel so special. So that feeling that you get if, let's say, you're together with someone for three months, and they're only paying you attention 5% of the time, that 5% can feel so freaking powerful
0: because it's only 5%. And how easy, by the way. Anyone, anyone can go on a date and dazzle for five minutes. And then if you don't get any more of that person, then it just, they just feel dazzling. But how much fun are they to spend time with when the two of you are just doing laundry? What's it like when the two of you are just hanging out reading together? You know, the, that's the real test. And when someone's only giving you 5% of their energy, it's really easy for them to remain mysterious and exciting. This is, this is why, by the way, when affairs happen, the person on the outside of the relationship, there's sort of such an unfair advantage Mm -hmm. that the person on the outside of the relationship has because they only have to be dazzling for the 5% that they're showing up for. Mm -hmm. The husband or the wife, the person who's there every day, that person, that show is going on 24 hours a day. So it, It's a much harder show to be dazzling in because it's going on 24 hours a day. People who feel that Hamilton is dazzling might not feel that way if Hamilton was playing around the clock in their house 24 hours a day and it was the only show happening. At a certain point, Mm. it would no longer have the dazzling effect of a three-hour show that you go and see on a special occasion. That's what a partner is. A long-term partner is someone who who has to? we have to be able to live with, not be dazzled by. To live with, to exist alongside. What's that experience? Someone that comes in from the outside and is like, very alluring and very mysterious. How easy? How easy to be alluring and mysterious when someone knows you for five minutes? It's much easier for me to be impressive and exciting and dazzling on a Lisa Bilyeu interview (laughs) podcast conversation than it is for me to be that to my brother or to my best friends or to my partner because that's real life that's me on an average day so we way overvalue the dazzling and when someone is giving us pieces of themselves Our mind can go a what I'm getting is really really exciting and I equate that to what the whole relationship is gonna be like this is not true and because they're unavailable their value must be higher because that's just the economics of our mind works like that Mm. if it's rare it must be more valuable now that can happen objectively even though we should remind ourselves that over the course of someone's life, they're gonna be very unavailable to some people, and then they're gonna be really available to someone. Mm. And the person they're really available to will have a different experience of them than the people that they're unavailable to. They're not the bad boy to the person they open up to.
2: Right.
0: No one is the bad boy to the person they choose. You can't be, you can't remain the bad boy whilst going, I wanna marry you. Mm. I'm done, you're my person, they're no longer the bad boys. So the funny thing is, if you're chasing bad boys, you're always chasing someone in a phase. You're chasing someone who's in that period of their life, but they won't be that to someone else down the line. But meanwhile, you'll just keep trading Guy in that phase for another guy in that phase for another guy in that phase. All the while thinking that's their, their value must be really high because they're really unavailable. When you're just getting attracted to someone who's in a phase that happens actually to be really bad for you. Now, the other part of that is we overvalue those things when we undervalue ourselves. If you want me, something's going on with you that I don't trust because I'm not great. You don't want me. You're treating me like I'm disposable. You're onto something.
1: (laughs) That's so powerful. So making sure that you do the internal work yourself is very important. Um, But there is the intoxication when you're in a relationship and you have this really strong desire and attraction that you hold on to the good moments Mm -hmm. and you give reasons why the bad moments exist right now. So it's like, well, they're going through a hard time. There was this one time that they really, like I was in a relationship before Tom for almost four years and it was a very toxic relationship. And I remember having all of these like ups and downs where it's like he told me how much he loved me and then the next day he was emotionally abusive. But every time he was emotionally abusive, I would hold on to the time that he was really nice to me. And I had convinced myself that the bad times weren't indicative of who he was. And the good times were. But he was just going through a hard time, obviously for three years, which I can now look back on and see is, you know, me pulling the wool over my eyes. Um, But there is that convincing that we do to ourselves because we want to feel accepted even though with what you're saying was like, he's rejected me, so then I must be onto
0: something. Like there's like this duality of that emotion. You have to be able to separate how you feel about someone from how someone makes you feel. Those are very different things. I may feel about a person that they are charismatic and and adorable and intelligent and wise and fun. but they make me feel, or if they make me feel lonely and and sad and and anxious and stressed and questioning my value, that's the reality of my relationship.
2: Mm.
0: So you can think someone is a God, but if they make you feel like you're nothing, that's gonna be your experience.
1: It's so interesting how our opposites have actually, I think, helped us really shape each other. And like, there are things that you've introduced me to that I didn't, wouldn't have been introduced to otherwise. And so it really helped me step out, step out of my comfort box. Um, but a lot of people actually, I think, the opposite being complete opposites will be a detriment to their relationship long term. So how I want to actually do this episode is I've got multiple themes that I want to talk about and how, if people are opposites, what are the tactics that they can um, do in order to survive and actually thrive in their relationship? So I've got religion, finance, kids and discipline and how you're going to bring them up, habits and then hobbies. Okay. So, I want to start got, with-
3: Got a, got a couple dangerous ones in there. We've got
1: some dangerous ones. Yeah.
3: But I think by far the most problematic is children.
1: Oh, interesting. No
3: question. People break up over kids and money. That is it, my friend. Those right, are so the two that really fuck people up. Let's with
1: finance. Okay. So with me and you, when I first met you, I was a saver growing up. Every single penny my mom ever gave me, pound pocket money, I always saved. Um, and when I met you, you, um, it wasn't that you were frivolous with your money, but you were in debt and I'd never met any, uh, from, college,
3: from college, I would like to yeah. point out, But actually, being from, like I had just but being, racked up debt. <laughs> but. Sure.
1: But being from England, my college was free. Sure. So I'd never met anybody who had a college debt. Obviously you were the first American that I dated. So, you know, but it was a shock that you were in debt. Um, and so, let's worried talk-
3: I was going to drag you down.
1: <laughs> well, but, but the, you joke about it. But what if you could have, right? I
3: did for a while. In fairness. So,
1: so let's talk about that. A, where we came together with different types of financial situation, yep. or financial situation, and then when we married, we both had to alter the way we see money and spend money. So, um, talk to me about what the key things are that we have to address first of all, and then how we get through it
3: so i i really think that people don't understand the need for rules in their life in general so um, how is money spent and and this is going to get into a, a sort of overarching theme that i imagine will come up over and over in today's conversation when you're talking about when do opposites become problematic it's all around values And that's that's where people disconnect, that's where countries end up conflicting, is they just can't fathom that there's another valid way to approach the world. It's my way or the highway. And around money, man, you got a lot of like hidden values that people mistake for truth. Like when we first met, I was like, oh, so how much money does your dad give you as basically an allowance? And you were mortified that I would ask that because you had a value that was like, you don't talk about money. And I remember thinking, hmm, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. So, because yeah. And look, I could not have said, oh, we have a collision of values here. That obviously is something that's come over time. But at the time, it really did hit me as, ooh, when someone has a conflicting value with you, they see the world in a way that you think is worse, less than. It really hits you in a visceral way of like, I don't like this. And when you have a visceral reaction, most people do not know what's happening. They, they just go with their neurochemistry. So they have the visceral reaction, and as Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response is a gap, and you get to choose how you respond. And like your whole life is in that moment. So if they know, oh yeah, this visceral response that I'm having Is because we're having a collision of values that's precisely what it means so rather than have the argument about money this isn't about money this is about a value system Mm. so where what's going on here so for you money is not to be discussed for me that question wasn't actually about money it was about open communication okay so that was step one so we had to process through that then you get to the real machinations of money and I will just say here's some good advice for anybody literally no matter what phase of your life you're in off the top pay bills. Then you need to be saving. You wanna save as rapidly as you can to get to the point where you have six months cash on hand, period. I don't care who you are, I don't care what your value system is, this is just reality. And we're recording this in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis, so can anybody say that that would be a bad fucking idea to have six Mm. months living expenses? Not, Not cut your life to the quick, The way you live now, you can live without changing a thing for six months. If you're unable to save, your lifestyle is out of control and you need to get your lifestyle to a point where you can save up to that. Because you only have two levers, the amount of money you make and the amount of money you spend. That's it, homie. So it's one or the other. Now, that is not something that I was good at when we met. That's certainly something that I've gotten more disciplined over time but even in the beginning of our relationship, when you were like, hey, it's really, um, I come from a savings standpoint, I was like, that actually does make sense. Like, I've always been by myself, I've always kept my expenses very low, but there's no question, that is a very smart way to approach it. So anyway, keep your expenses reasonable, make sure that you save up enough money, make sure that your bills get paid, and then after that, make sure that you have spending money that each of you control. So the other stuff is joint. The saving is joint. And whether one of you has a job, you both have a job, you save like that core amount. Now, how you break that up, that's up to them. If it's, all right, you make 30% of the money, I make 70% of the money, then you contribute 30% to all the bills and I contribute 70% to all the bills. To me, that makes sense. I've always been like, I'm always trying to get to the point where it's, it's just... 50 50 right so in our case i was the only one making money but i was like yo this is the life that we have chosen this is 50 Fifty. I don't think of it as my money that I give to her. It's like, this is 50-50. This is the life that we've structured. Now, Which,
1: that was something that was actually difficult for me and we had to talk through because I didn't want to think that I had to come to you for permission and that you were making the money and then you were just giving it to me. Me and you, when you went to work and I was going to stay at home, we spoke through it. We sat down from day one. All right, how much do you think we should save? This is how much I think I sh- we should save. And we went back and forth and really laid out everything so that we were all were both, on the same page from the get-go and we approach that with no judgment of each other because actually when i first met you i actually did judge you a bit because you weren't conscious of saving like i was where like for me it's like if i can see like a cheaper way of doing it I was like, oh let's do that but you weren't very conscious like that and so i was just like but he's the one that's in college there and i'm not and there was a bit of like judgment there
3: yeah, I'm not, no, I'm not sure that that's a bad me. thing, oh, to be fair. I, I don't know! So, how about this? It is a very predictable thing, and when you have a collision of values, guaranteed, part of that visceral reaction is judgment. It's they're doing it wrong. That the way they do it is wrong, the way that I do it is right. Mm-hmm. Now, whether it should be that way or not, we can set aside for a second. I will just say, I don't have a problem with that you judge me when our values collide and I judge you when our values collide. That, that is going to be the discussion, that there is a right way to do this, a right way. Now let's define right. What are your goals? Mm. One of the ways moves you more effectively towards your goals than the mm. other. So that, that's what I mean by right. I don't mean they're better or more worthy, okay. I'm I just you... mean that we have a goal. If we're coming at this with opposing values and we have a shared goal, then it's like, well look at it. Which one of these is actually going to leave it, lead us there? Now, if you haven't come up with shared goals, that's a whole nother thing that you have to talk to.
1: In fact, I think that's where we, you need to start, right? What is the goals? Like with Quest, right? You came in and you're like, baby, if we do this um, and it doesn't succeed, we lose the house. So here I am, you know, we've been we've married, what was it? Like seven years or something at that point, eight years. And you came back and you're like, we just bought our first house and I was so freaking excited. You're like, yeah, if we lose it then, or if the company doesn't succeed, then we lose it. And so, but in our discussions of agreeing on what our goals are as a team was what made me say, yeah, absolutely. But if we hadn't had the discussion about what are our goals together from the get-go you coming home and saying oh yeah i want to you know put the house up for you know as a risk of a protein bar company and i have no idea i've never made a protein bar in my life i think i probably went are you fucking nuts but because i was we were so invested in we're going to do this together we're going to build something amazing together we're going to make movies that was definitely the goal at the time but it's like to make movies we have to take risks and so we agreed that that was the path we were going to go on
3: yeah so on goals there was an episode of impact theory i did with a guy named casper craven and he talks about he and his wife were really at a at a dark place and they weren't sure if they were going to stay together and they thought why don't we write down shared goals and spend like a year or two years living towards those goals and see um, what that does and he said even just the act of sitting down and dreaming together he said was was so bonding and he said we laid out like all of our dreams you know here are my seven things i want to do with my life here are her seven things she wants to do with her life he said there was only one that overlapped and he said they just clung to that one thing Mm -hmm. all right cool we both share this dream and now let's go for it they wrote it down which is so powerful and hung it up on the wall and then just said everything serves that goal Mm -hmm. and i uh, that's so clarifying one for you and then unifying for a couple super powerful so just going back to money so assuming that you have the shared goal of what you're trying to accomplish then the collisions of values will all revolve around which one is going to move us towards the goal more effectively and if you can talk like that and not be overly invested and this is where identity man is rough i've heard it said i forget by who but when you touch on someone's identity and say that's a problem or you're not as good at that good at that as you think. Ooh, that's when you light people up and they get super defensive. So getting past some of that to be like, oh, I really believe in the goal, the goal I believe in. Anything else that we get into, "Ah, I'm open, right? So, But that's hard it's not easy for people like your identity has all these tendrils it's all these weird things right like you were saying i'm a saver but i have a value that's that saving is good so when you say i'm not a saver i'm like oh i'm not something that's good at like it gets hard for people to own that there are parts of their personality that don't serve their goals as much as they would like but they're they are still real
1: all right. I want to move on to the next subject. You want to talk about kids. Sure. All right. So, um, me and you always thought we were going to have kids when we got married. I actually wanted four. I think you wanted two. Um, but where, from the get-go, I mean, people may not know this about you, but right up until we, we thought we were going to have kids, you were reading children's books, parenting books. That's what you were asking 100%. for Christmas. My mum bought you with utter excitement. She thought she was going to be a grandmother. So she brought you every book under the sun. Um, and we discussed it endlessly about how we were going to bring up our kids. And we did it before we have children. And that was a big... We did
3: it before we even started trying to have children. Right.
1: For those people at home, though, we never
3: did stop trying. Not trying. (laughs) I just wanted to
1: like make that clear. Um, But right, that's exactly it. Before we even started to think about actually starting it, we discussed everything: how we were going to discipline our kids, what religion were we going to bring them up in, what Mm. was important to me growing up, what was important to you. And there were things that we actually had collisions on. Um, The one that comes to my mind is um, was uh, discipline and spanking yeah so if you want to talk about that and then
3: well i mean i will speak for myself i was so rebellious and i've always had such a problem with authority that i would just push and push and push until i got spanked and then i would stop now i when i say it did not traumatize me i don't have any bad feelings i always knew my mom loved me um and i remember At 13 years old, my friend Justin Angove comes into school one day and he was all excited. He's like, my mom tried to slap me and I blocked her and she burst into tears. She's never gonna slap me again. And I was like, that's genius. I've never thought, like I'm bigger than my mom now. I've never thought to to block her. This is so (laughs) smart. The next time she tries to slap me, I'm gonna karate kid the shit out of her and I'm gonna block it. And that's just gonna end it. And she's gonna know who's boss from then on. And so, it couldn't have been very long. The next day, probably, I remember standing at the front door. I'm pushing and pushing and pushing. I don't remember what she wanted me to do. And escalate. Ah, and then finally, she goes to slap me. Boom! I block it. And you can't imagine how feel, how good I feel. I am elated. And she goes to slap me with the other hand. Boom! And I block that, too. And I was like, oh! Like She knows what is up now. And then, pow! She got me with the third one. And in the moment, like right then and there, I was like, Mad respect i see you bill you like nothing but my mom is not going to back down my mom loves me wants good things for me she's going to keep my ass on the straight and narrow just that fucking simple i never got in trouble i didn't drink didn't do drugs like i was just in line i fucking am so grateful for that like i'm so grateful for my mom and the way that she raised me my mom didn't take shit, but she loved me to fucking death and she wasn't abusive. And so to me, there is such a clear line between keeping someone in line and being abusive. Like they, they, are, they are a spectrum for sure. And I get it. Some people can spill. My mom never did always. Like she never hurt me or injured me or anything like that, but she got my attention. And yeah. So anyway, that to me was like, yo, if a kid is going berserk, I'm going to give him a swat on the ass and to bring him into line. And
1: for me though, I was so fearful. So my dad did spank. Not much. I think maybe he spanked me once. my remember him slapping my hand once as well. And it broke my heart. Like broke my heart. And I think I it would ha- have been the same for and, my sister. And I had a certain amount of fear. Um, and I know my dad loved me, and so but I was definitely like, oh, don't get him mad. Oh, and he only did but it that's once. that's the point. He, right. But... I had the fear. And so my thinking is I don't want to put fear in my kids, um, in their conscience, like that, in their conscience. Like that's just, I don't want to do that to them. But you have such a wonderful story that you come from the other perspective. So even like we had spoken about, well, do we spank them? Do we not? I said to you that I would have probably slapped their hand, but. Um, I, I couldn't do anything else. But if you felt strongly that you felt like if someone was out of control or our child was out of control and you needed or wanted to spank them, I would have. I would absolutely, like putting myself in that situation right now. I would absolutely respect you because if that's something that you feel like you need to do. But I would say to you, hey, we have to be careful on what type of child you spank and how they react to it because, um, like you're a rare breed in my mind, like. I don't know how many other people are like, oh, my! I respect my parents for spanking me, right? It's, it's unusual. So I would have worried that if you ended up spanking a, ch- a child who maybe was super soft, and you even said, right, your sister would have felt the same way. So... Um, so as you can see guys at home, like this is something that we talk about and we're gonna go back and forward with, but it's important to discuss. Because if when we have a kid, all of a sudden you spank and we haven't spoken about it, like would I have been horrified? Would I have had like lashed out at you and now that child sees the fact that me and you don't agree on the punishment? Like talk about mixed messages to children. And that's one thing yeah. that we spoke about as well, is if we ever disagree, never do it in front of the kids because we always have to be united. Um, but that, the spanking thing was just one thing, and then also the religious thing. Um, we come from different perspectives, not necessarily perspectives, but different belief systems. And I was brought up Greek Orthodox, and that was really important to me, that our kids were christened Greek Orthodox, and that um, they learn Greek. And so you seem to be okay with, you know, um, coming on board with the, the culture, um, but what would you say, let's say there's certain, like, I know many people who especially like, um, I have a lot of Jewish friends and it's like, no, I just won't marry someone out of my religion because mm. it is important. It is important to me that my children are the same. So it's not even about their partner. They just won't look for someone out of their religion because it's important that their kids are the same.
3: Yeah, but for my, me, was- my thing with kids is i am not gonna be dogmatic they need to think like me but i'm gonna always be honest with them about what i think my thing was you were always super reasonable you weren't dogmatic you weren't you know um like ultra fundamental or anything so there was no like you saw beauty in a lot of it and you saw beauty in the ritual and things and i was like yeah i respect all that like getting the kids christened and stuff sure if that makes you happy like i don't think it has any sort of ill effects um you never asked me to lie so it's like yeah you be honest you do you i'm not gonna make fun of you or what you believed at the time like hey this is what your mom thinks This is what i think and you know follow your thing i don't really care it's like i want people to think for themselves i want them to make their own decisions i want them to to chase beauty and poetry where they see it. And if they see beauty and poetry in the Bible, then go for it.
1: But you said a really big key thing there is we respected each other. So you actually you got christened, I don't know how many people know this, but being Greek Orthodox, I'd always dreamt about getting married in a Greek church and having that very traditional wedding. Um, and I remember when you proposed and we were talking about it, and I was like, hey, look, it's very important to me to get married in a Greek church. Um, and you're like, oh, I've, I've never even dreamt about my wedding day. So, of course, then when it came to getting christened, you said, look, I will do what needs to be done for me to get christened you went like i was going to say religiously pun intended to sit with a bishop once a week twice a week for weeks on end to have classes in order to pass and have him accept um you into the religion and then he christened you and you went in and you were like look if i'm gonna do it there was no resentment in you you were like you realized this was a gift i think i was thanking you profusely which is important versus expectation i didn't Mm. expect you to do it and then you were just, you were so into it and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna do it. Like if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. And you went in with a stack of books and you were asking questions about religion and things like that. But at the end, I remember you saying to me, I hope you know this doesn't mean that I believe in God now. And please don't ever ask me to convert emotionally. Like I will do it for you so that we can get married in a church, but it's very different. And if your dad ever asks me, cause that was a big thing. I was like, oh my God, I don't want my dad to know you don't believe in God. And you were just like, look, if your dad ever asks me, I'm not gonna lie to him. And I remember you saying that I was like, oh my god,
3: oh god, what if? I hope he never asks. I hope
1: he never asks. I was, but in that moment, I had to stop and say, Lisa, this isn't just about you. He's willing to meet you in the middle, like he's willing to do all this stuff, because I've said it's important. Like what he's doing for you is beautiful and the fact that i can't now meet you in the middle and say yes you still should be who you truly are and for me to ask you to be anything else i don't think would have been fair as a partner to do to you you weren't asking me to not have a religious wedding so why on earth would i ask you to convert your beliefs
3: 100 so
1: all right now i want to move on to habits because i think especially right now if people are stuck at home um, Difference in habits, I think, can actually start to probably.
3: Yeah, this is a particularly weird time for habits and routines. It's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. We're so like, we have such a rhythm. But it's funny, if we worked out at the same time, it could be a problem, because that's like your safe space. Like you, even I'm like, I'm in Lisa's gym. (laughs) Like,
0: oh god, I gotta hurry.
3: It's so interesting. And
1: then finally part of me is like, he's in the gym. <laughs> he's using my weights.
3: <laughs> we share everything 50-50 except the gym. Don't fuck with my gym. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that is a glimpse into our marriage, very much so. <laughs> um, I do think so. Again, rules, communication, people have gotta talk about how do we use this space, right? So it is possible in the next 12 months that you spend five, six months on quarantine? Like Who knows, right? I am not an expert. I have no idea what will actually happen, but that is a very real possibility. Looking at the mutation rate of the virus and all that stuff, it's fucking real. So getting to understand how people effectively um, get their needs met in the space, I want to use this, like for instance, the gym would be a perfect example for us. It is very important to you, the gym. Now, the gym is using our language the gym is meaningful to me it isn't important like it is for you if i missed a week whatever i don't fucking care but like you really like make it one of your highest priorities to make sure that you get your time in the gym so it's like if we were colliding and i was like messing up your routine because you use a lot of things all at the same time it's like i would be very respectful of that and say cool i get it she needs her space then on my writing days, I need my space. I can't have people fucking interrupting me. It drives me crazy. And so if we were in a small house where it was like during my writing time, you had to give me extra consideration, I would lavish you with praise for doing so because I want to make sure I reward that behavior, but I would also give you the gift that you want, which is I would, hey, when are you not in the gym? And mm-hmm. then I'll go make my gym time around that if I have to work out you know, midday or really early, which... Thankfully for us, we're on slightly different sleep schedules. So for me, it's just, I wake up and and I'll go straight to the gym and usually I'm done before you even wake up. Um, But setting those rhythms, talking through this stuff, giving gifts, giving gifts, like want the other person to be happy. And then when the other person is doing something nice for you, lavish them with praise for that. And don't lavish them with praise, because if this goes on for months, don't lavish them with praise in week one and then by month three, it's just an expectation,
1: mm-hmm.
3: right? Like you like it when I boil your water, which I haven't done in the oh, new house. Oh, I was What's gonna up? say
1: something to you today, and I was like, please do. So
3: for pe- I'm just totally out of the rhythm. I don't even go back there. So
1: for the longest time, you were boiling the kettle, and it got to a point where I forgot to thank you because I was just, and I remember being like, oh man, he didn't boil the kettle yeah, today. Yeah, you
3: noticed if I didn't do it, right? But you didn't notice if I did. And I do remember
1: it. we, you said and you're like, look, it's turning into an expectation, and I was like, oh my god, you're so right. I can't believe. since we've moved, so it's been what, maybe three months now, you haven't boiled the kettle. And then this morning I was like, I really want to tell him to boil the kettle for me. But I was like, I don't know how to approach it because it's kind of freaking cheeky for me to ask you. I'm so glad this this, came up. I'm so glad this came up because
3: here's the one, now I'm just going to relate to you and people can watch and see how we talk. There is no malice. I'm not being passive aggressive. I legitimately need to see it to remember. And so I, and then once I get in the habit, then we're good. And when we were living here, I would walk by it every morning. And I would see it on the way in and the way out. Mm-hmm. And so it became this thing where, and then I would see it before the gym and after the gym. So I would see it like eight times in the morning. And I only had to remember one time because I would see it eight times before you woke up. Now, because it's in like a separate part, I don't see it. So I never just accidentally walked by it ever. So, being reminded because I want to give you a yeah, gift. How would I, I want say to that lift to you up. You? Hey, baby, I want to help you get back in the habit because you've told me that you want to do this for me and it is a meaningful thing. Mm. So and look, the way that you say it will of course acknowledge that it is cheeky to ask and cause there is, it's weird and nuanced and complicated. So saying like, hey, this is so cheeky, but you did say. And so like, I would love it if you, you know, did it. And then know that like, I might then remember once and then forget again for a week. And I want the reminders. And then once I get back in the rhythm, you, I'll get back in the rhythm because hopefully you'll have been rewarding me for doing it. And then don't let it become an expectation because then it just sucks. It's just a chore.
1: And that's exactly the words I had in my mind. I was like, okay, I want to say how meaningful it was to me. But I do recognize it is still cheeky for me to ask you to boil the kettle. But I, I'm actually really glad this happened because people can hear at home. Like I, We really do talk like this and most of the time it's we try to at least, or definitely I try to, have these conversations when we're emotionally sober, you know, because it's like, I can say to you, babe, I know it's cheeky, like, what's actually the best way for me to ask you this? And you just tell me, well, if you ask me like this, this is actually what will help. And if you ask me like this, and so we give each other the gifts in, because we trust each other and we're not trying to manipulate each other. Um, So it's so important that we, that we have these open conversations. So let's go back to habits. Um, So people are at home, so let's say they start talking about the communicating what's important and then what's not. Um, Giving the time, I love that. One thing is, you were talking that we've spoken about that we did for a while um, when I was finding it hard to let you know when I was on, I was working and when I was off the clock because mm. we were working and living in this house at the same time in the studio. And I remember, in fact, I think it was in a relationship theory episode, I had the idea that it should be like the Brazilian um, restaurants. So, you know, in the Brazilian mm. restaurants, you have those like bring more meat, don't bring me little coop like chip. We had done, I did the lamp and mm. in our in the bedroom i would switch on the lamp when i was um, it was night time for me when I was switching yeah. off work, so what you would do is you would come into the bedroom, maybe say something about work, see the lamp was on and be like love you and then you would walk back out mm. so it was an indicator to the other person without having to say the words, so as you were talking if you're confined in this space, maybe there's certain things like that, whereas like if you right, don't yeah. want to be bothered, have the discussion right? because even in the words don't want to be bothered, some people may get their back up by it, so have the things like I need space, I need time to focus like using these types of words mm. i think will help that communication and then having that sort of signal that says cool when i do x it means i'm in work mode when i do z it means i'm in let's hang out mode let's talk about other things and right. um, so that was actually one thing that came to mind um but what about things like habits like and in let us talk about this. Um, leaving clothes on the floor and someone's messy, the other person's neat. So one thing is like, I don't want you to feel like I'm just bossing you about. Pick up your clothes. It's like, because I know when we first met, you never made the bed. I always made the bed. Right.
3: Which and is madness. But we,
1: it's right. And lunacy. the fact that you think is madness, I think is madness that you don't make the bed. Right. Like madness that you don't make the bed. How can you not make the bed? But we spoke about it. And you explained, and originally I definitely came to it from a judgment perspective because I'm like, oh. God, I can't
3: Goals, which moves you towards your goal or not right. like, and I'm, I'm all for it. And this is really what people need to be thinking about when it comes to this. So um, this is a perfect example because I think it's real. I think a lot of people are going to struggle with it in terms of clean up, don't clean up. So if you're in a relationship where one person wants things clean and one doesn't, I promise you, you are at a collision of values. One person thinks it is self-evident that you should be picking up and keeping things tidy. And one person thinks it's self-evident that to constantly be cleaning and tidying when something is just going to get re-messy the next day doesn't make any sense. So one is there's two types of collisions of values, ones that can be worked through and you can come to a compromise or a new agreement and one where absolutely not, um, I'm not going to change, I understand your position, I understand it perfectly, steel man, I got it, I can explain it better than you and I still think it doesn't make any sense and vice versa. So let's deal with that, where there, there's just no compromise to be had, which for us is being tidy. There, we, we have talked about it six ways a Sunday, but the reality is when things get messy, it gives you anxiety. So no matter what words, no matter how much logic I give you, unless you were willing to do the work to unwind that neurological pattern, it's never going to change. So now is where it gets into you're going to have to create rules around how things are handled. So is it that like, for instance, don't fuck with my part of the closet, right? I have a side, you have a side. You can do whatever you want in your closet. You can fucking clean it with a toothbrush if you want. I have my side of the closet. Yo, you don't have to look at it. Like it's going to be the way I want it to be. And that's that. I'm not asking you to deal with it. I'm not asking you to clean it. I'm not asking you to wash my clothes, nothing. But I am not, this is, I understand your argument, but I'm not willing to do inefficient shit. It doesn't make fucking sense to me. So I'm gonna keep mine the way that I wanna keep it, you're gonna keep yours the way you wanna keep it, and all public areas will default to a DMZ, which means I can't be messy in it. Um, by, in this example, clean is, is an absence. So the default in there would just be lack of mess. You take care of yours, I take care of mine. Um, if you want the bed made and I don't, by all means, make the bed, and I won't touch it during the day. I won't mess it up, but don't ever ask me to make it. So basically, it's don't and then cast, do, you,
1: do you get the bed ready after because we sleep with diff, uh, separate blankets. Yeah, and which, so that's, that's another thing because you're like if you make the bed, then you have to make sure that when I climb back into it, I don't have to fuss with the blankets.
3: Yeah, meaning when you make the bed, you you will oftentimes actually remove my blankets from the bed sometimes remove them from the room and it's like hey if you're going to do that i absolutely accept it don't make me hunt for my own like that that's really like hashtag real talk that's so disrespectful in my world that it's like this is going to be a problem every single day if i have to go look for myself i feel so disrespected it's like
1: but that's interesting you. that like the, <laughs> you do me. No, I no, do no, me.
3: you, you do you. I'm not going to yeah, stop yeah. you, but don't make it my problem. Right. Don't, don't force your value system on me. Like we, we have to, to say we can't agree on this. I'm, I don't need you to adopt my values, mm-hmm. but don't make mm-hmm. your values my problem either.
1: And it like, even just in the tone you're using, like disrespectful, that's a big fucking word. hundred
3: percent Used intentional
1: correct and i know that you use your language very specifically and i just want to point out though that from my perspective i never would have thought you'd be disrespected because i wouldn't have perceived it like that myself so like i don't think of you putting your socks on the floor as being disrespectful i just think you're messy but me not but me moving your blankets from the bed wouldn't have occurred to me that you would interpret it to be disrespectful and so if we didn't communicate and you didn't tell me that I would have been like, what the fuck is wrong with him? Like, why is he grumpy? Like, right, and we would have battled and we wouldn't have said the words and I wouldn't have quite understood because I don't see it like you do. But because you were very honest and open, instead of me trying to persuade you, like, no, 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 it's not disrespectful, I'm just like, cool, that's how he feels. I'm going to respect that you feel disrespected by that, right, and so if I can respect it, then I can go, cool, how do I choose to act? because then it's in my control. I can choose to disrespect you, but know that I'm disrespecting you, or I can choose to not make the bed or you know whatever. But in that communication has allowed both of us to understand where the other person's coming from. And then going back to what you said, then we created rules of engagement around it. So it's like, cool, if I make the bed, I have to make sure it's unmade before you get in. Right, that's a, that's an agreement that we've made. And so we don't argue about the freaking bed anymore.
3: It really comes down to, like this one, where they feel the other person is doing it wrong, inferior, and making it their problem. So they have to deal with doing things a worse way and they've never articulated it to themselves or to the other person. So it's just emotional reactions. And so you don't understand why I'm getting upset that the the bed is made and it's lovely and beautiful. And you're like, how how am I in trouble right now? Mm. This bed looks gorgeous. He he gets to walk in and see this beautiful room, and I bet it makes him feel wonderful because that's how it makes you feel. And so you you're just projecting it onto the other person without thinking through. When I walk in and I see a made bed, I either don't notice it or I think, oh, this is a pain in the ass. I have to like remove all the blankets and stuff before we can get into bed. I don't look at it and go, ooh, that's beautiful. Mm. So All the things you think I'm getting out of it, I'm not getting out of it, but until each person like really stops and defines it for themselves and then articulates it to the other person, it just becomes like that, the nagging and the bickering and the fighting and no one ever stops to ask, what are we actually fighting about?
1: Yeah, oh actually also it makes me, as you were talking, making the bed, because this is how I was brought up, I perceived it as being a good wife. And so you walking in Interesting. Right, think about like the typical duties um, put upon, you know, stay at home women. It's make it's cleaning, it's cooking, it's providing, it's being there for people. If I didn't know that you felt disrespected by me making the bed.
3: No, no, I, no, I don't feel disrespected by you making the bed. Sorry, but. feel disrespected by you hiding my fucking blankets. Okay, hiding I wanna your blanket. Very okay. clear.
1: Um, I would have felt though like, but like, I, I'm doing something lovely. I'm like, Bringing my my half to the whole, and you coming in and being annoyed by it would have, yeah, really upset me.
3: Yeah, from your perspective, I completely see and understand. That's why people have to talk through it. Even the um, the little nuanced where you said you found it disrespectful that I make the bed. And it's like, no, that's ah. not what I feel. And so this is where mm. like, man, even sometimes when you've talked about it or you think you've talked about it, the words don't mean the same thing or a slightly different meaning was taken away, but it can really change the intent. Um, because here's, if I were you, are you ready for what I would do? I would for make- For
1: the record, I don't make the bed anymore.
3: But if you were going to, okay. make my side, my two blankets maybe fold them in half so all i have to do is unfold them fold them in half and then just put your blanket on top now you won't like that because it'll look lumpy but for <laughs> me it's like cool then you just fold yours open fold mine open and now we're in bed super easy nice and simple can i say but
2: something please
3: yes that that is definitely something i feel that like you, you know me so well you feel seen in the I avatar do. way I Yeah.
2: Do. <laughs> well, uh, I see you.
3: Yeah.